always have to ask that question of just over 200. How on earth would it be able to, along with other partners and people, run a free medical clinic to a township that, by the way, is Indiana's most diverse area, most diverse township, not only that, most diverse section of the state rests right here in Pike Township. And so this is also where God has decided that he was going to move on some people's hearts, that they would provide services that are needed in the most diverse part of the state and probably one of the parts where we have a lot and we have a growing immigrant population and that God would place that there. What would cause them to do that? And the reason we put this video right where it was is because it leads us right into what we're talking about today. As we looked at this whole series on the gospel-shaped church, today we are looking at a generous church in a stingy world. It would only take gospel-centered generosity to move on the hearts of people responding to the call of God so that they would carry out the mission and the values, the mission of the Lord and the values of the kingdom of God. And so if you would turn to me, I know in the centerfold of your, of your um, bulletins are some scriptures. We will refer to them, but that is not where we're going to be coming from this morning. As a matter of fact, if you would turn to the book of Luke, chapter 19, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10, and we will refer to, you can put a mark in, a finger in, a bookmark, whatever you want to, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We'll be looking at that some this morning, too. And I would encourage you, Proverbs is loaded with, I'll give you one or two, but Proverbs is loaded with scriptures that refer to the wisdom of giving from that book. If I can ask us to stand, I'm going to pray for us, but I will read to you the scripture as we go along for the sake of time this morning. Please stand with me as we pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity, O oh Lord, to be able to gather and to hear your word. We have been able to worship in song, Lord. We're able to <clears throat> worship as we fellowship together. And now, Lord, part of our worship leads us to the word and to instruction. And I pray that you would temper our hearts and you would help us, O oh Lord, to be in a position where we hear and we obey. And so we commit ourselves to you, praying that you would enlighten us as you speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You may be seated. And so as we look here in Luke's gospel, what we have here in chapter 19 is part of what is being called the travel narrative. Jesus, starting at chapter 9, about verse 53, says, he comes in and he actually says to them, I must go to Jerusalem. And he begins, and Luke is the one who narrates, he begins this journey toward Jerusalem. And we know Jerusalem is his destiny. It is the purpose for him coming. And, 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 and although he was an example of the, of the faithful witness of the perfect servant of God, his ultimate destiny was death. And so after death, there would be resurrection, and after resurrection, it would be freedom for us that we could come to God uninhibited because he has cleared the way, but he had to go to Jerusalem. 
And everything from chapter 9 in Luke is focusing on his travel and his journey toward Jerusalem. And as he makes these stops and as he draws closer and closer to Jerusalem, you see some things about the character of Christ because you see in it this intention that even though he knew that his death was imminent, that he knew that his suffering was coming closer and closer, his love and his intention and, 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 and his focus began to get sharper. And that's opposite of what most of us would do if I knew that my death was coming. Boy, I, I may be all over the place. I may be trying to make sure things are sured up. But for Christ, his mission became more clear. And so we get here that right before we get at the end of chapter 18, we get this whole story of the blind beggar. Now, remember, he is approaching to Jericho. Jericho is some 20 kilometers away, about 15 miles or so away from, from um, Jerusalem. And so he is really close. And we see that as he's approaching, he's also sharing the story about those who are fit for the kingdom. And so we just met the rich young ruler at, in early um, chapter 18. And now we are meeting this blind beggar at the end of chapter 18 as he's approaching Jerusalem. And then Jesus heals him. And then we get into, I'm sorry, into Jericho. Now we get into Jericho, and he meets the next one that he is going to give us an example of another characteristic of the kingdom that will be displayed. And thus, it starts at a reading in chapter one, in chapter verse one of chapter 19, and it reads as this. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has, gone to the, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, although we are looking at a generous church in a stingy world, I'm going to title this text, A Generous Response to a Gracious Call. A Generous Response to a Gracious Call. I am going to show you today that one of the clear signs that your heart has been changed for Christ and that you have, been, you have been wonderfully saved is demonstrated in the way you give. Now, this is not some message of, of, of some guy trying to get money out of you. Somebody that's trying to get you to dig deep into your pockets and to do something with it. No, I am showing you here from the word that it is a clear value 
um, that is written in the text that one of the ways in which God, I mean, in, in which you demonstrate that your heart and your life has been changed by the power of the gospel is in how you manage and how you deal with and how you dispense your resources. And I'll tell you, show me a person's checkbook and I will show you what they value. Or show me a person's statement, because many of us don't use checkbooks anymore. Show me a person's electronic statement and I'll show you what they value and what's important in their life. And so this morning, we're going to look at four points that refer and that show us that there is a generous response to a gracious call. The first one is Zacchaeus earnestly seeks Jesus who went through Jericho to meet him. And we realize that as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose, he is also breaking down barriers of who can be received and who is fit for the kingdom. Understand, he just met the rich young ruler, probably a ruler in the synagogue, because that was the place where status was had. And so he comes and he rejects Jesus. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, we don't have time to go into it, but the scripture says because he went away sad because he was extremely rich. That just doesn't sound right. He went away sad from Jesus because he was extremely rich. Now, what Jesus is not teaching here is that to be rich is to be sinful. By no means is he teaching that. Or to be well-resourced is to be evil or wicked. He's not teaching that as well. But he was relaying in this story of the rich young ruler that he thought he had everything he needed and he was not about to let go of his status. He was not about to let go of his position and his influence to follow Jesus. And so he went away sad because his question of wanting to inherit eternal life was not answered in the way that he wanted and so then Jesus moves on, and the next, um, the next encounter we see is him with the blind beggar. And I think it is, a, it is this thing of contrast here, is that you see this man who was well-resourced, who was influenced, who had everything going for him, but he pushes Jesus away. And then you have a man that seemingly has nothing, and he welcomes him in. The beggar is on the road, and he hears that this commotion, and he goes, what's going on? And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is walking by. So obviously, this man has heard something about Jesus being on that road as he normally is. And he begins to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. Understand that particular title and tag would have confused the people that first read Luke's account because that statement now begs that he has an understanding of the scriptures that who Jesus of Nazareth is, is the Messiah. That tag, son of David, means that. And here was a blind beggar on the outskirts of society, marginalized, as a matter of fact, was considered at that time what they would say would be an expendable, someone who was of no use to society and only took from it. He now has the insight. He's blind, but sees well enough to know that Jesus is the Messiah. 
I find that interesting in the contrast that the one who was in the synagogue and should have seen was blind, but the one who was blind and on the outside saw. And what Jesus was saying is that your position, your status, what you have, what you don't, where you grew up, where you live, means nothing in the value of the kingdom. Yes, it benefits and it helps us, but it says nothing. It was understood back then. It was kind of a theological thought for many back then that if you were, if you were financially and physically well off, that meant you were blessed by God. Oh, that's nothing strange. We still do that today. We have people that, are, that, are, that have been, that are well-resourced, lots of money and connections, and we say, oh, they're blessed. May not be. They just may be great manipulators. They may be people who have used others tremendously. They may have stepped on everyone on their way up. Just because someone has doesn't mean that God is behind their having. And so we see here as he goes on that the blind man says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, let's go again. When we look at the rich young ruler, we see a guy who wanted Jesus to do something for him, but he wasn't willing to accept the answer. Jesus asked the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? And he doesn't say, I want money because I am poor. He says, I want my sight restored because he knows if I can see, everything else will be fixed. So he wants his eyesight back. And of course, Jesus accommodates and heals. And so we get into the next. So we have a misfit who now sees correctly who Jesus is when the person who should have seen doesn't. Watch out, religious folk. Just because you show up to church doesn't mean you see God the way you should. Just because you attend some service or because you ascribe mentally to some things religiously does not mean you have got it with God. You should be one who sees and you could be one who is blind. And so now he goes on and as he gets here, Zacchaeus is now seeking. You get the next person in line and Zacchaeus is hears about Jesus coming and it doesn't say he wanted to see him. Look what Luke writes. He said he wanted to see who Jesus was. And literally what he means is he wanted to find out about this man, Jesus. He was seeking Jesus. But we're going to find out at the end of the story that there's a twist actually to him seeking and that we can all find something in that. And so Jesus comes into town and Zacchaeus is wanting to seek him and understand there are three characters in this narrative. There's Jesus, there's Zacchaeus, and then there is that wonderful crowd that we hear about in the Gospels. And you've known from speaking in the past and when the, when the scriptures talk about in the Gospels the crowd, they are talking about that fickled up and down world, lost worldly group of people, of individuals that are typically in the way of God's plan. When we hear about the crowd. And so that's why I tell people, be dangerous when you follow the crowd, because you could be one of those people that are in the way of God's plan. And so now he comes and he says that he wants to, 
come and to seek Jesus, it says, but he couldn't because he was small in stature. Some theologians really believe they weren't talking about his height because a man of his influence, a man of who he was with his money, understand he was a chief tax collector, which meant he didn't just... T- he didn't just collect the toll of the tax in that area, and Jericho was one of those main areas because of the crossroads that would go through it, is that he was one, and, and, and he, had, he had others under him. Many believe that it wasn't because he was short, although he could have been, but it was because he wasn't revered at all. His standing in society was that low. Not because of his finances, because we clearly see in the scripture that he was rich. But it's how he got it that gave him his smallness of stature. Think about that. That's like the drug dealer who came and and he or she is a millionaire today. They are loaded and they are running things. But it's how they got it that gets people to shun them. Or the person that's going the other end, the person that's in business and that they have, they, have, they have acquired millions, but it is through deceiving and manipulating and shunning and stepping on and avoiding people. They may be rich, but how they got it puts them in a lesser stature in society. And there are many believe that this was the case for Zacchaeus because if he was a man of influence, if he was a man of stature, he could have moved the crowd. Without issue, he could have moved the crowd. And so he comes now and it says that he couldn't get to find out who Jesus was because the crowd, that worldly group, was in the way. And so in an undignified way, he runs ahead, a person of influence and money would never do that because it would betray their status and who they were. He runs ahead, he finds a tree and he climbs in it. You surely wouldn't do that to try and see someone. You would demand an audience. As a matter of fact, if I go back in time, that's what the rich young ruler did, is because he comes up, and part of the reason why Jesus takes offense with his, with, with his statement is because he was trying to set himself up to have, this, to have this prestigious response from the Lord. Remember, he says, good teacher, how may I inherit eternal life? And that good teacher was one in which if I pay you a compliment, you pay me back one. And Jesus responds to him and says, why do you call me good? For years, I used to think, well, what was wrong with that? You are good, Lord. But he was understanding that wasn't this dude's intent. He was trying to set himself up as one of status before Jesus. He says, why do you call me good Only God is good. In essence, he's saying, are you calling me God? But then you see here, Zacchaeus wants to get an audience with Jesus, and he runs ahead, totally undignified, totally out of status and position. And he runs ahead, and he climbs up into a tree. No one of influence and money would ever do that. It was beneath their status. And he was like, forget status. I want to find out who Jesus is. You've ever been so desperate to seek out something that you are willing to look crazy and foolish doing it? For some of us, we've grown and we've been so dignified that, boy, we wouldn't dare now. 
There are very few things that capture our hearts like that. And sometimes God wants us just to be downright undignified as we seek him. No, Lord, I can't. And sometimes God puts us in positions where we lose position so that we assume the right position. I will never forget the journey I went through. And boy, it changed. It humbled and changed my journey when many of you know when I had to have my thyroid removed. And when they did, my body went into this revolt. And I was showing signs of all over the place and dealing with depression and dealing with, and boy, it was just so undignifying to me. And God was like, I got you right where I want you. And I realized that through that humbling time that God had given me the gracious gift of teaching me how to be even more humble than I thought I was. And that was a wonderful gift of God that I know my place and my position before him. And Zacchaeus didn't care at all. He was like, I need to see Jesus. And so after Zacchaeus earnestly seeks Jesus, The second point is the call of Jesus and the response of Zacchaeus. The call of Jesus and the response of Zacchaeus. Understand what Zacchaeus didn't realize is that Jesus had planned all along that he was going to meet him. Jesus was full of intention and you see it in his words. And so as he gets up to him, as he comes there, the scripture says, as Jesus came to the place. That's that's how the Greek, he came to the place. Came to what place? The place? That's interesting. Well, the place where Zacchaeus was, yes, but the place where he knew he would intersect with him. You see, all of us who know Christ, Christ came to the place where he met you and I, where he intersected with our lives and called us to himself. That's the place that everyone must be. So he called, he says, and when Jesus got to the place, he looked up. How did he know Zacchaeus was there? We don't say, he doesn't say that he was screaming for him. We don't know. All he knows is that when Jesus got to the place that he knew he would call on Zacchaeus, he turns and he looks up. And he doesn't say, oh, what's your name, man? He goes, what you doing up there? He doesn't say that. Jesus, with intention, looks up and says, Zacchaeus, that probably would have caused me to fall out the tree. How do you know my name? How do you know me? But he turns and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must. I must. That is intention. That is, I'm here for you. I must come to your house today. It was his visitation today of Christ calling him. And would he respond? Of course he would. Why? Because when Jesus calls, you come. It's an effective call. That he had, hey, 
He was going to come. And so Jesus calls and he comes. But I like what it says. Jesus said, hurry down because I must come to your house today. And when you see this call of grace, Jesus accepts. That is the grace of God on display. When Jesus does that, look at the response. Verse 6, well, let me read. Verse 5 says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 6 says, so he hurried and came down. He did exactly what Jesus said for him to do. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Luke writes, he hurried and came down. He didn't mosey. He was like, well, what do you want? I just wanted to see who you were. Now I did. Okay. No, he responded to the call obediently. And then the next verse says, and received him joyfully. Understand the contrast now. I'm going to go back to the rich young ruler because here you have two rich men, one who got it and was filled with status, one who received it and was still marginalized, both of them rich, one who came and wanted to seek Jesus but for his own end, and one who wanted to find out who Jesus was, one who wanted to see what he can get from Jesus, one who wanted to find out who Jesus actually is, and one received him joyfully. I, I think Luke is writing you a big contrast here. One walked away sad from Jesus, and the other joyfully receives him. So you wonder who was the one who was offered salvation. And so as you get this, this gracious call, he responds with joy. Jesus knows exactly where he was going to meet him. Let me ask you this question. I have it written down. What will you do? Or what did you do? What will you do when Jesus calls if you have not responded to his call? What did you do when Jesus called if you responded to it? What did you do? And so he receives Jesus joyfully, comes down, he's excited. And then, of course, as always is, there is always folk that are not happy about what Jesus does. Get on your nerve. Man, this group. Here this man came down as excited. He receives Jesus. And they turn and look at him. And, and, and the crowd starts to, first of all, they was in his way, which meant they wouldn't let him get close to Jesus because they were like, you don't deserve to be the Jesus. Dude, you, you get away. And so he was like, y'all won't let me. I'm going to find another way because I'm seeking Jesus. He goes up in the tree. And now that Jesus recognizes him, everyone has got mud on the face now. Whoa, like we tried to keep this guy from recognizing Jesus. And, and Jesus calls him out. Okay, so he comes down. And now they're mad at Jesus. Look at him. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. And I like this third point is the generous response. The generous response of Zacchaeus, the generous response to receiving Jesus. Look at what he did. He doesn't even acknowledge the crowd. What does verse 8 actually say? It says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. 
he didn't say anything to the crowd. They were all angry and mad. Why did he talk to you? You don't deserve to hear from him. He goes, I'm going to just make y'all the crowd right now for a second. He says, Lord, and I love that. Because sometimes when you are seeking after Jesus, you have to ignore the crowd. You have to forget about them. Look, he had already forgotten about them because he was willing to be um, um, indecent and he was willing to do something that would betray his status so that he could see Jesus. He didn't care. So now that they said something, he probably really didn't care. And he gets over here and he says something that is at the center of what we're looking at today. He says his generous response to receiving a generous grace. Look at what he says. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Understand, here are some things. First of all, Zacchaeus' response was unprovocated. Jesus did not ask him. Now, he said it to the rich young ruler. Why? Because he knew that the rich young ruler's riches had him. And all that came with that, all the status and everything else that came with that had him. And so he said, one thing you lack because this smug, rich ruler was saying, I did all that stuff from my youth up. Knowing that you lied, you done broken God's commandments many times. As a matter of fact, you're breaking one of them right now and lying. But he didn't even refer to all of them. The ones that he referred to centered around his relationships with others. And what he was understanding is that if you were in that high connected society, everything you did was to maintain your status. You didn't associate with those on the margins because they couldn't help you. They couldn't do anything for you. They couldn't build your status. And what Jesus was asking him was to lose his status for him. And he wasn't about to. Zacchaeus in turn says, I will give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, and you can almost hear everyone in the background snickering, if, that sounds like a political response, if, dude, by nature of your job, you have defrauded people. Tax collector. He says, if I've defrauded, here, I will give them back four times how I've defrauded. So if you do the math, Zacchaeus was saying, I'm willing to lose my wealthy status, Lord, in response to your generous grace. He's given away half of what he has already, and then with the other half, he is given back fourfold to those that he's defrauded when the nature of the job defrauds people. And what Zacchaeus is saying is, I'm okay with losing my wealthy status. I release it, Lord. I give it, Lord. Why? Because it is in response to the generous grace of God. Look at this. And so his concern for his status changed. His concern for his finances and how he uses them changed. He is now giving to the poor. He understands and realizes God's heart for the poor and marginalized. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 17 says, He that gives to the poor, he that is generous to the poor, gives to the Lord. God's heart for the marginalized is there. 
not that that makes you or that gives you status. It demonstrates you have the right value system before the Lord. Zacchaeus giving money didn't bring salvation to him. Zacchaeus' money um, helps us to realize, and he demonstrated that his heart was changed because of Jesus' gracious call. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, just real quick, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 says this. Paul, again, was talking to the Corinthians about the response of the Macedonian churches who were under extreme persecution and did not have a lot of money. Listen to what it says. We want you to know, brothers, he's talking to the Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That doesn't make sense. That their extreme affliction, which would have affected their finances, it, it, it did because it said, and their extreme poverty turned into an overflow of wealthy giving. What? That's not the response I would have thought. But why did it? It's because they were excited to be a part of this whole gospel partnership. Look at what it says. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Sounds like Zacchaeus, doesn't it? They gave beyond what they could. I think about the group here. How on earth does a church of around 200 have a free medical clinic with a state-certified pharmacy with people that are coming to volunteer their Saturday mornings? Let me repeat that, y'all. Their Saturday mornings. When most of us love to sleep in, or if we can't, hang out. What, does, what, what kind of mindset is the same here with the people in Macedonia? It says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord... And then by the will of God to us, and there's a principle there, that generosity comes not because some person up front was begging them for money and telling them if they give, they're going to be blessed, and, and if they give, they're going to be double and triple blessed. No, what they were saying is that they gave themselves to the Lord first, and as a result of being given over to God, they can give over of themselves and what they have to others. God doesn't have to tell them. I tell a person, look, don't beg people for their money. Get people's heart right with the Lord, and God will give them to give. If indeed God has your heart, he has your purse as well, or your wallet. He says that they first gave themselves to the Lord. If you have not given yourself over to God wholeheartedly, you will be stingy. Because you won't think it's worth, no, nah, man. No, I'm not giving that up. I don't know that I'm going to get it back. As a matter of fact, here, what Zacchaeus was saying, I know I won't see that half ever again. Why? Because he was giving it to a group. The poor in Scripture were those that were so much on the fringes, they could not 
pay you back. There was no way you were getting your money back. Kiss it goodbye. You weren't seeing it. And so this was out of the value system of the day, which the value system was give so you could set yourself up in a good position to network and get it back. But the poor, don't waste your time with them because they can't help you. And what Zacchaeus said is, I'm giving half of what I have knowing I will never get it back. And then the other half is what is owed to people that I've cheated. And look at what happens as a result. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Why? Why has it? Because Zacchaeus understand why has it? Is because his heart had changed to be in line with the value system of the kingdom by his treatment of the marginalized and his change of heart for justice. He said, justice, well, you see that if I've wronged anyone, I'm going to make it right. His heart changed about justice. You cannot say that you walk with God and that you are following Christ and that you are living in this unjust fashion. Whoever you are, however high you are, you could claim to have the right theology all you want. But if your life is filled with injustice, what it is telling us, it is betraying your words that you may not know Jesus. Or you're confused about who Jesus really is. Because you would be interested in true justice. If indeed, and God's way. I'm not talking about how the world wants us to set up. I'm talking about God says this whole issue of justice and especially how you treat the marginalized. Understand this was a highly highly um, 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 exclusive culture that if you were in the in group, you were in and you tried to stay in. And if you were out, you were left out and you remained out. And Jesus knew that. And when he came in, he always reached out to the marginalized. Why? Because that was a value of the kingdom. He always looked for those that were lost and on the fringes. Why? Because that's what we all were. And boy, your heart for the poor and your attitude towards the poor, tell of your heart for Christ. As a matter of fact, here are some questions I have for you with that. How has your heart for the poor changed since you've come to Jesus? How has your heart for the poor changed as, you come, as you've come to Jesus? How has your heart for righting the wrongs of your hands and of others changed since you've come to Jesus? How have righting the wrongs that have happened as a result of you or even others, how has that changed since you've come to Jesus? That's for the believer. How has your view on your status changed since you've come to Jesus? Has it changed at all? And then the last one is this proclamation. The last point is this proclamation of salvation. It said, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house, and here is, the, here is the kicker. Remember the crowd called him a sinner. 
He said, he is going to be a guest of a sinner. And look at what Jesus says of him. Salvation has come to this house today because he is a what? Son of Abraham. They called him a sinner. Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. Why? Because he was changed and is a true son. I love that. The world, the crowd will see him as worthless and not worth knowing. Jesus saw him as family. And he gives them this example. And for us today, this example. Do you see the needs God is presenting to you and rearrange your heart and your life to meet them as you are able? Let me ask that again. Do you see the needs God is presenting to you? We have them here. And the things that we are constantly doing, I'm not asking you to give to some man or to some, some, some desire to build some sort of crazy empire. We know and, and, and you know from hearing us, we're not doing that. But in order for us to continue to meet the needs of what we believe God is calling us to do in this community and beyond, it will take a generous church that is not concerned more for their finances. I'm not saying that you don't take care of your bills. God's going to take care of you. Got you on that one. But he is saying that it will call for a generosity that goes beyond what the world deems as necessary. And that generosity only comes by a gospel heart change. It's you can't will it and you, you know, don't go give him more because you think God's going to be impressed Hold on to your cash then because he's not. But if out of response, as a matter of fact, um, 1 Corinthians 16 commanded them to give as you've been prospered. I love that because I'm not going to tell you what to give. And then I need 50 people to give. No, I don't. What I need for you to do is to think back and reflect on how the Lord has prospered you and you and him decide what you're going to I don't even need to know because the issue becomes this is a God thing this is not a me and you thing yeah I can share the need and we do have I can share the need and we have a need for our clinic to grow we have a need for them to get a break y'all we have a need for some of them to not have to show up every every Saturday that somebody else can fill in for them. I know they need that. That's right. Come on, brother. I know that. I know that there's also some other things that we are doing as, as far as our schools across the street and as far as evangelism and, and even as far as the programs in this church and the people that we need to bring on. I know that, but hey, we are not living outside of our means. Do you see what they said in Corinthians? They gave according to their means and then beyond. They rearranged their life. Next question. Will you walk away? This is for the person who has not received Christ, and we're coming to a close on this one. Will you walk away sad from Jesus' call because you were too well-resourced to change and to let your money be a lesser concern? You're going to walk away sad from Jesus because of your money? 
or are you going to allow it to change you? Notice that salvation was demonstrated through his generous giving of himself and of what he had. That is one of the signs that your life has been changed. You live well and you give well. That's a sign that you've been changed. And I'm not the one that tells you what giving well means. I'm not the one that says, as a matter of fact, they know. I don't know and don't want to know who gives what. I don't. I have no idea what y'all give. Nor do I want to. Why? Because I'm human. I don't want that to sway at all. Any way I look and talk to anyone at all, I'll let God deal with you. You would want me to deal with you if God was trying to get a point across to you. Because somebody can thwart my plan. But with God, there's no thwarting anything that he does. And when God is working on you and in you, all I say is, hey, Lord, let me know when you finished. The deal becomes this. The generous call, I'm sorry, the generous response to a gracious call, we should be the most gracious, the most generous, and the most just people on this planet. Why? Because generosity was thrown and lavished on us. When God called us like Zacchaeus and we answered and received him joyfully, if you know Jesus, and out of that, we have been given, like the Corinthians, the favor of giving. We've been given the blessing to give. They said they wanted the favor to give. We want the favor to get. Got our Facebook post, God's got favor on me. And what that usually means is I got something I wanted. And instead, they wanted the favor to give. Why? Because their hearts had been changed. Have you been changed? What demonstrates that you've been changed? Your generosity is one of those things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Father, that you have generously given to us. Lord, this one I know talking about money and resources is difficult. Oh, but Father, I understand that, Lord, you've spoken about it at length while you walked to this earth and it was because it is that thing which can trip us up and can lead us astray. You told Timothy to warn those who were rich in this world to be rich in deeds toward God. Lord, you told them that. Warn them. Father, when we think of the wealthy, we don't think of warning them, Father. We think of admiring them. And God, you said to warn them because there is a self-sufficiency in wealth. And Father, yet you call us to be like Zacchaeus, Lord, that we are so desperate for you that we will do anything. And once we get you, we want nothing else more. Thank you for the jobs we have. Thank you for allowing us to have resources that we do have. Thank you for the places where we live. Thank you for the things you have given us. And yet, those are not central. 
to you nor to us. I pray this morning that we would see and we would hear correctly and respond correctly to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.